0: This is Cover Two, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hit.
1: Browns are going to win. Bayfield,
0: Epson, touchdown. With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorschach from the Canton Repository. It's
1: intercepted. Pick off by Denzel Ward. Chubb will take this all the way. Browns fans,
0: now, cover two, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns.
1: Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Apologies that we missed last week. Honestly, I don't remember what came up, but I think I might have been off. Uh, Yeah, I was. Uh, I was off, so that's why we missed last week, so apologies for that. There's been a lot of Browns news that has happened, though, since we last recorded. As you may recall, Nate and I uh, basically predicted that the Browns would sign Troy Hill. Well, we, we didn't really, but it still happened anyway, so we're going to talk about that today. Uh, we're going to talk about Malik Jackson signing, linebacker Anthony Walker signing, We're going to talk a little bit about the the NFL regular season moving to 17 games. So, uh, with with that said, Nate, since we were kind of on track with the Troy Hill thing last time, do you have any bold predictions you want to start this week with? Do you you want to reveal the next Mega Millions winning numbers? Um, Anything like that you want to start off with?
0: Well, (sighs) I think that the Browns are probably going to draft a corner in the first round.
1: Wow. That's that's a real bombshell. Do you want to expound on that or do you want to leave it as a one-off for now?
0: Well, I've been thinking defensive end for so long, Dan, but I just don't see right now who that outside corner is opposite Denzel Ward. You can say it's Greedy Williams, but We don't know it's going to be Greedy Williams because he's coming back from nerve damage in a shoulder, and it's an unpredictable rehabilitation process. And he's been better, and he's been getting better, and the Browns are encouraged. But, you know, Troy Hill comes in, and and he really does give them some greedy uh, insurance. But plan A is to make him the full-time slot corner. Plan A is to make him the Kevin Johnson replacement. And an upgrade over Kevin Johnson at that. So, yeah, I mean, they obviously could go defensive end or cornerback. I think last time we talked, just kind of coming off the Tack McKinley signing, I was thinking, well, they're not done. They're obviously not done at defensive end. And they prove they're not done because they had Jadavian Clowney in for a visit since then. We're in a holding pattern right there. You know, if that deal gets done, then I think this cornerback prediction is going to look like a a, a really logical path. Um, not that it's not logical now, but I think it'll be obviously more glaring. I think if you sign Tech McKinley, Anjadavi, and Clowney in the first round, sure you could still draft defensive end at twenty six. Kind of look into the future. I mean, McKinley is going to be a, McKinley is a one year deal, and Clowney is likely going to be a one year deal if it gets done. So. Yeah, you could plan for the future and draft one of those defensive ends, but it just would feel a lot more likely to me that it would be corner. So I just, as I'm sitting through all these pro days, zooms with these prospects, Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of looking at the way free agency went for the Browns, they're not done at defensive end, but they do have Tech McKinley, and they are really high on them. I think they think a lot more of them than you and I, Dan, just because we're looking at the, the groin injury last year. And. And him tweeting his way off a team and thinking, yeah, the guy's got a lot to prove. Sure, he might be really hungry, but it's just, you know, is it going to click? Is this change of scenery going to do what the Browns hope it does? They have a tremendous amount of faith it's going to, and I'm kind of in wait and see mode on that. So I think they feel a lot better about him being closer to a full-time defensive end than, you know, maybe we do or, you know, the average fan does uh, or, you know, the, you know, most of the beat writers do. So I don't know. I kind of look at it like corner just feels more of a, of a need to me getting that outside corner assurance. Like I said, Troy Hill gives you some of it. I just think that they really are in need of a corner. Um, and it just feels like with when I'm looking at this class, there's going to be some, some pretty quality ones uh sitting there, I think, at 26. And I'm not so sure if defensive end is really going to be as favorable for the Browns where they sit. I could see a run on end happening mm-hmm. before 26, before or maybe being more likely than a run on corner, like a, a big run on corner. I don't know, Dan. I mean, you you certainly know the ins and outs of the drafts, but what do you think about this?
1: Well, I think that's a good way of putting it. I, I think there's a better chance that someone like Greg Newsom of Northwestern, who you talk to, will be there at 26 than there will um, someone like one of the Miami guys, Greg Russo or Jalen Phillips, who our colleague Marla now wrote about. Um, and by the way, Todd McShay's new mock draft that came out today has the Browns getting Rousseau. I, I just think it'll be tough for a six-foot, what is see, six-foot-six lanky, quick edge rusher to be there at the end of the first round. So, but Nate, I I, I will pose this to you, and then, then we'll get talking um some stuff and yeah, you're right, we gotta talk clowny too. I that skipped my mind, but um how about this? I will bet you the amount of Swenson's gold coins that can p- can pay for a galley boy that the Browns take a defensive end if you wanna take cornerback in that bet are are we on? Uh haha, put you in a tough spot.
0: Yeah, just because I felt like I needed to say something to get you to get you, uh, you know, all amped up and fired up when you're trying to paint me in a corner for a prediction here. I'm I don't know if I'm at the betting level with this yet. Okay. Um, if they sign Clowney, I'll I would be willing to bet a lot more than the cost of a galley boy that it would be a corner. <laughs> But, you know, I I really could see it being both right now. Um, God, I would be shocked if it's not a defensive player. Same here. I mean, I know you can entertain a receiver, um, but I just see that coming a little bit later. That's why I talked to Purdue's coach last weekend about Rondale Moore. I just – somebody just who can take the top off a defense with truly elite speed. Is fascinating to me, and I think it fills a need for the Browns. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if it's Tutu Atwell from Louisville, or uh, Elijah Moore from Mississippi, um, or Rondale Moore from Purdue, I think those kind of guys, the speed demons, can be had maybe with the Browns' second-round pick. So yeah. I'm really, I'm really zeroing in on defensive end or corner. And lately leaning more toward corner at 26. Clowny gets done. I think it's a slam dunk. But I don't know yeah. if I'm ready to bet quite yet.
1: Okay. Well, and by the way, all all the players we've kind of been talking about, there, there are some really nice profiles of them up over at com slash sports slash Browns. So if you haven't checked those out there, you know, Nate, I think Nate's best time of the year, quite honestly, in terms of storytelling, is is the lead up to the draft. Um, so he has a lot of great stuff up there, as does Marla, as does the Dorshak, and uh, George Thomas will too. So uh, check that out. And Nate, we can reconvene on this bet, uh, depending on what happens with Clowney. And tell me about tell me about Clowny because it kind of seems like. There was the little flurry of news you know him visiting cleveland um the speculation that surrounds it and then it's kind of kind of vanished do you think that we'll know about Clowney either way anytime soon or do you think that's all in, in completely a holding pattern because i i just haven't heard anything about Jadavian Clowney in the last few days
0: That's a great question. I don't know the answer because Klein, he's interesting. I think that he really probably doesn't want to do offseason stuff, especially coming off a knee surgery. I mean, last year, he signed one week before the opener with Tennessee. So, (laughs) you know, I could see him waiting quite a while before making a decision. Uh, What's going to be interesting is, does he visit some other teams before then? You know, does he... Take a little bit of a tour. So that that's kind of what I'm thinking is the next logical step. You know, if that if that doesn't happen, then I think it's going to be the Browns. Right. I mean, it just it would be odd for him to go visit the Browns in person, something he didn't get to do last year when they were making him a really nice offer to uh, because of covid. He got in the building this year um, mm-hmm. and, you know, got to meet the key decision makers. And that was Wednesday, last Wednesday. So here we are more than a week later. And really, it has gone radio silent. So, you know, where are they at on money? You know, you got to figure the two sides aren't agreeing on it, or this probably would have happened by now, you know, so. Clowney probably wants more than than the Browns are thinking right now, so he's going to maybe wait and see if that opportunity to make more will present itself. I mean, these are things I don't know, but just kind of reading the tea leaves, things that I'm guessing, and also he is coming off that surgery, uh, you know, on a torn meniscus, uh, you know, torn meniscus cartilage in a knee, so you know, that's not an ACL, you know, that's something that uh, you know you you probably are reasonably confident about him coming back from him be, and being pretty good uh you know when he gets back on the field, but you know that's something obviously that that we have to keep in mind too when when you look at it from the perspective of the browns and other teams is as he kind of is still out there on the market and not with anyone so I'm sure that the the browns uh had a chance to to talk to him about that. If not, get that checked out while he's in the building. Um, So those are the the key issues. And hell, I mean, I could look foolish and this could happen at any moment. Um, By the time you post this, Dan, I could be writing a Jadavian Clowney news story. But I kind of just looking at his history think that we might be waiting a while here.
1: Yeah, we'll see. It's, it's tough, obviously, when you get into the prediction game like that. But um, as we found out last week with Troy Hill, I, I tacked on a little intro to our podcast or two weeks ago, rather. So maybe we'll do that again with Clowney. Either way, we'll see. But uh, he's certainly a big name. Not the pass rusher everyone hopes he is. To me, he's really good against the run. And when he was in Seattle, I didn't watch a ton of him on Tennessee last year. But when he was in Seattle, they did a thing where they moved him all around and teams kind of had to game plan against where he was. I mean, some plays he was standing up, some plays he was with his hand down, some plays he was you know, lined up as a middle linebacker and and running all over the field. So he's an interesting player. We'll see what happens with him, though. But Nate, let's talk about some guys that we... We know our Browns now. As I said at the top, they signed defensive lineman Malik Jackson, cornerback Troy Hill, and linebacker Anthony Walker. Nate, out of those three, who do you think makes the biggest impact on the Browns?
0: I think it's Troy Hill. I think that uh, slot corner role is is going to be pivotal for the Browns this year, and you know they're they're going to be playing three quarter corners a, a lot and. Um, you know, I know I said in the previous uh, podcast that, you know, Joe Woods wants to play three safeties. And if Grant Delpit, Ronnie Harrison and John Johnson III are healthy, we're going to see a lot of three safety packages. So maybe the nickel isn't the a, a gigantic need, but it's still a pretty big one. And so I think that Troy Hill is going to, uh, you know, have a huge role. Um, Kevin Stepanski even said in a quote, about the hill sign we expect him to play a big role and i just think that you know here's a guy who really had not played primarily slot corner until last season with the rams and he had his best season and so you know i i think that him coming off that year in which he graded out really well in pro football focused rankings and had a league leading three defensive touchdowns with two pick sixes and a, and a fumble uh, recovery return for a touchdown. I think that, uh, you know, he's going to be a nice addition and he's got some familiarity coming from the Rams with John Johnson. The third, you got two fifths of that secondary um, that had, you know, was the number one pass defense, the number one overall defense in terms of not only, uh, yards allowed, but but points allowed, fewest uh, in both categories, of course. And yeah, I just think it's a, a, a nice move, uh, should be a, a, an upgrade over Kev- Kevin Johnson, uh, who just, you know, had a weird injury in training camp last year, and I don't think ever kind of, you know, rounded into the form he wanted to after that lacerated liver. Uh, so I think Troy Hill is my answer to that. I think he's going to be Uh, a key player for them. His versatility is coveted by Joe Woods. And yeah, if I'm, if my little prediction about corner in the first round doesn't come to fruition and Greedy Williams or Denzel Ward aren't available, we're going to see Troy Hill on the outside too. So he's kind of a blend of Terrence Mitchell and Kevin Johnson and, you know, and every down outside corner and, of course, the slot corner of last year, uh, both of whom left in free agency, he kind of gives you a little bit of both of those guys' skill sets in one player.
1: Mm. Yeah, he really does. And I, I tend to agree then that he is the biggest impact uh, player they signed out of the group. Um, and, you know, theoretically, he's he's right in his prime at, at 29. Um and he should be a, a really good, effective player for the Browns. I mean, he kind of had a rough start to his NFL career, but he, he's really settled in with the Rams uh, the, last, the last few years, and he's become a pretty good player. So I like him. Nate, I got to tell you, I like the Malik Jackson move a lot as well, and I, I like that from the standpoint of you can, you can play him inside and out, you know he gives you some pass rush from the inside. I think he's pretty good against the run still. I I just think he's a a, a rock solid player and I, I also really like the mindset he's he's bringing to the Browns. I I know maybe sometimes that kind of stuff can get overblown, but just just the idea of in his opening press conference talking about going to the Super Bowl and and stuff like that and um i i don't know i I think he's a great locker room addition in addition to being a a really good on field addition you know like if the tech mckinley thing doesn't work out you can you can rely on jackson a little more or sheldon richardson is a little spotty you can rely on jackson or you don't know exactly what you're going to get out of andrew billings you know so now you have Jackson on the defensive line so i re- I really like the move of bringing him in what what do you think of Jackson?
0: I like to move for a couple of reasons one he has familiarity with Joe woods um, they won a Super Bowl together in Denver two he uh, had an interesting last two years in philly uh in the opener in twenty nineteen He suffered the Liz Frank injury, out for the rest of the season, surgery, the whole thing, broken foot. So last year he comes back. He played all but one game, but it was that classic, he's not all the way back here for him. And he admitted it yesterday on on Zoom when he was talking to Browns beat writers. And I think that's interesting because he admitted that there were mental blocks him last year, and he thinks he's over that now. So, that to me, here's a guy who thinks that he still has a lot left at age 31 and he can get to the production he was at when he was a pro bowler in 2017. It just kind of got funky for him the last couple of years with injury, and then I mean, that's a pretty significant injury, especially for a big guy, you know, right? Um, a lot of weight on that foot, and you're coming back and you're constantly worried about happening again, and, you know, there's rust to knock off and so on and so forth, you can understand how you wouldn't be yourself until, you know, a year plus after that. And I think that's what he is describing. So I am interested to see him uh, this season and see if we see him kind of, you know, take a little bit of a jump in production from the player that was in Philly. And I think it's possible, you know, especially because he's been a good player throughout his career. But now he's in that situation where he's got that familiarity with Joe Woods going back to point one, where he's really comfortable with this guy, has a lot of trust in this coordinator, thinks he's really honest, direct, knows what he's doing. They have so much mutual respect. This is what Malik Jackson was describing yesterday. And I just think that when you get a veteran like this, who's got something to prove coming off the injury and then a down year, you know, as as he was trying to bounce back from it, now he's in a comfort zone with Joe Woods. And he's got some really talented defensive line mates. So I'm with you. I, I think that Malik Jackson could be a nice move. And quietly the Browns have built a pretty nice defensive tackle room. I mean, You got Sheldon Richardson, you got Malik Jackson, you know, a former pro bowler himself, a guy who's been to two Super Bowls and won one of them. Then you've got uh, Andrew Billings, full-time starter for the Bengals for two years, who they liked, Andrew very liked enough to to make him a, you know, a a pretty high priority free agent target last year. Billings opted out because of COVID-19 concerns. He has asthma. I obviously um, think that he can be a really productive rotational guy uh, for the Browns, and and he's going to be competing there with Malik Jackson for a starting job. And um, then he got a a third-round pick from last year um, in Jordan Elliott. So with those four guys, I think that's quietly a pretty good defensive tackle room especially if Andrew Billings coming back from COVID can kind of be the Andrew Billings that he was with the Bengals that appealed so much to Andrew Barry.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I I really think they like Elliott. I mean, obviously they took him in the third round last year, but I I think they have something there with him just from a, a, a future three technique kind of player. So it, it suddenly we we went kind of from oh man, the, the defensive line is kind of messy and it still is opposite Miles Garrett to a degree but now we're at the point where it, it's looking like a strength again, which which is important for, for that defense so the, the last one, Nate, Anthony Walker, not to diminish him, it, it's more of a quite honestly, more of a positional thing, playing linebacker of Uh, it's kind of like the running back of the defense it's it's not as valuable in the NFL right now but I I think he's a little bit of an upgrade over B.J. Goodson and man it it sounds like everybody loves that guy so I I can't help but think that was a pretty pretty rock solid move there too bringing in Walker what were your impressions of of Walker when you guys talked to him
0: my impressions of him were that he seems like a great guy and He seems like a guy who would be the type of leader that earns the praise of, you know, an all-pro like Darius Leonard and a bunch of other Colts uh, coaches and and players. And very smart guy, Um, just a kind of a, you know, culture, quote-unquote culture signing, you know, a guy who in Indy was so dedicated – he would start breaking down the opposing offense every Monday and take detailed notes, and then pass out the notes to his teammates uh, on the defense before they even got the full game plan from um, Matt Eberflus, the uh, defensive coordinator. And but it wasn't in like an undermining way. It was like, you know, hey, you know, these are some things I'm noticing. And he did it in collaboration mm-hmm. and working with Eberflus, who loved him, and. Frank Wright called him the, I think it was the heart and soul of the, of the team. So, yeah, I mean, let me, yeah, it was
1: the heart and soul, That's
0: the heart and soul of the team. So, you know, why do you let the heart and soul walk, right?
1: When you (laughs) have a bunch of cap
0: space? Well, (laughs) that's the kind of thing that I'm curious about too. Like, I think that, when it comes in tangibles and leadership, I'm buying all that with this guy. Like he comes across so well, Um, you know, the, the typical, you know, class act, high character guy, all that just seems to kind of pour out of him when you talk to him. I don't know him. Right. But that's a, that's a first impression on zoom. So, you know, I, I hope it continues to be that way. And, from everything I hear out of Indy and everything that's been put out uh, on Twitter by his former teammates and everything I've read about him, that's who he is. So I think all that's really encouraging. But then you get to the football. Is he really an upgrade over B.J. Goodson? That's an interesting question. And I like the Troy Hill signing. I think that's an upgrade over Kevin Johnson. I like the Malik Jackson signing. For the reasons I already stated and think that that's a pretty good defensive tackle room all of a sudden when you add it all up and you consider Billings coming back to you. This one, I don't know. You said you think Goodson um, isn't quite as good as Walker. I'm not so sure about that. I just don't know. I, I, I w- I'm i very eager to see how Walker kind of fills that Goodson role this season one thing that Andrew uh, Barry said is that Walker's one of the fastest linebackers in the NFL and I have been among many people saying this offseason the number one goal should be to get faster. So we'll see how that translates to this middle linebacker position um how he how he's able to uh, perform at, in coverage uh, sideline-to-sideline side tackler. We're going to find out, but I can understand why that was uh, such an appealing trait to Andrew Berry because they really needed it. He is a couple of years younger than Goodson, too, but you know he's on a one-year deal, so I don't want to make too big a deal out of that either. Bottom line is, pro football focus like Goodson better, and I I have a lot of respect for what Pro Football Focus does. They watch every stamp of every game. I also don't take the grades as gospel. Sometimes it doesn't quite match up with what I think I see. Um, but a lot of times their grades make a lot of sense. So I'm just very interested in the Goodson versus Walker conversation. And I'm
1: not well, convinced that this is an upgrade, but we'll see. My, my thought on, on why it's an upgrade, first, the, the PFF thing, um, to me, it, it's kind of like linebacker is always weird to me because it, it seems like you're judged on how many plays you make. And I, I guess that's true of any position, really, but um, it, it just seems like with linebacker, it, 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 it's tough for Walker to me to make as many plays on Indianapolis when they have Darius Leonard an all pro uh, the best linebacker in football, arguably probably doing, doing more than, than, you know, what, what Walker will see in Cleveland. So I, I think Walker will have a, a greater opportunity to make plays in Cleveland. Uh, if that makes sense. So and the speed thing, I, I think, is a huge, huge deal. Uh, to me, I, I think the the problem with players like Mac Wilson and Sione Takitaki in the past is that they're they're just not fast. They don't play fast. I don't I don't care what their their 40 times and stuff were, but to me, they they didn't play fast. And I didn't think Goodson had the play speed to make up for that at times. and I think Walker does. Um, so that I guess I'm just intrigued by the speed more than anything uh, with Walker. Yeah. So that, that, that's my think, reasoning.
0: I, I, that's why I mentioned it. Cause I, I can't say, you know, this isn't going to work out because I mean, the number one thing I was pounding the table for was the need for speed. And if they think this guy is one of the fastest linebackers in the league, and they do because Andrew Berry said it. Then you got to think that there's a lot of uh, logic to this move. It just is interesting to me though that the PFF grades are giving Goodson 21st out of 83 linebackers last season, and Walker 69th, not even close. Yeah, it's right. a big, big big gap. So I just want to see how it plays out on the field. Now, here's what I will say also about the PFF thing. Goodson coming into last year, he was a big projection. Like He was a guy throughout whatever, what, what did he have, three or four seasons under his belt coming into last year? I don't know off the top mm-hmm. of my head exactly. Something like yeah, something that. Something like that, yep. So he came in, and he was like a third of the snaps type guy. He comes here, and all of a sudden he's playing uh, a lot more than he ever had. And I'm trying to find it real quick. I think he ended up playing like 70, here it is, he ended up playing 78.6% of the snaps. I mean that, so he was a a projection coming in. Mm -hmm. He ended up playing by far uh, the greatest amount of snaps of his career and I think exceed expectations when given that greater workload at least outside expert expectations. So I guess what I'm saying, what I'm trying to get at with that point is the Browns were an Andrew Barry and Joe Woods. I got to give them credit for, for making a projection on BJ Goodson and then seemingly getting what a lot out of him and more than what I thought they would get out of him in 2020. So if you extrapolate that to Walker, you would think that they would, if, if they're right about Walker, they would, they would, the way they were about Goodson and his speed and his fit and everything, and the opportunities to your point, Dan, that he's going to have with the personnel here. Um, maybe we're going to see his best season yet, and then you're going to look back and say, "Wow, that was a really nice move." Yeah,
1: but I think we'll see. I, I think you might look back at all three of these moves, assuming they all stay healthy, of course. I, I think you might look back on all of them and say, hey, these were three pretty good moves. I mean, none of them are the big, huge, marquee moves, but these are the type of things that good teams have to do in the offseason where you're building the, the strength of your roster in some of the the deeper spots. You know, we're not talking about your edge rushers, offensive tackles. Thank God we're not talking about quarterbacks because, oh man, with this draft. Ugh. Um, but, you know, we're, we're talking about these good depth, good roster-building players. So, I, I like the moves. Um, moving on, though, Nate. 17 NFL regular season games. Do you have any any strong opinions about this
0: i would be fine with it if they got rid of more than one preseason game like that's my biggest thing like i just don't think that it's a fair trade off like obviously there's a whole bunch of you know <laughs> money involved and yeah all that but mm-hmm. i just think in terms of workload on the players um injury risk and all that one for one regular season to preseason I, I'm not a fan of that. Like, I would have been much more in favor of if you're going to add another regular season game, knock it down to two preseason games. I mean, we had no preseason games last year. Did you miss them at all, Dan? I mean, I didn't. I think they're the most worthless thing that the NFL has going right now,
1: <laughs> other than other than the Pro Bowl.
0: Like, I, I really, I, I, I really loathe preseason games. I got to tell you.
1: I I only missed them because we were, what, six, whatever? Yeah, six or five months into the pandemic. I just needed anything in my life at that point. So I missed them last year. But in general, you know, other than when you see things like Terrell Davis of the Broncos going down on special teams and just killing a man and and earning a roster spot that way or, or, you know... The occasional stuff like that, I I think preseason games are just awful, just terribly awful. So <laughs> well, then you I, came around to my point. <laughs> I yeah, I I agree with you there. Yeah. What, you know, one of the things that I, I think the NFL Players Association failed at, and, and maybe they'll get another crack at this is, you know, with it with an extra regular season game, I. I I really think it's time that the NFL examines roster size and making it bigger, you know, you give more opportunity to more players. So from the, from the players association standpoint, you you would have that. And I, I think from a safety thing, you would, you would get that. And from a, from a football nerd thing, You would get that too i mean let's say you you put your you put your rosters at even 55 players instead of 53 and you increase the the game day roster two spots as well maybe you take two kickers into a game you know what i mean or like Mm -hmm. maybe maybe you you dress more offensive linemen or you have another quarterback because we've seen kind of teams shift now to having just two game day quarterbacks. So I, I like the idea of 17 regular season games, but I, I, I think it, it should have been an opportunity to increase roster sizes because Lord knows the NFL can afford, you know, 70 more players in the NFL from a financial standpoint. So that's kind of my feeling about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, they inched closer toward that because of the pandemic adjustments, right? Um, but you're right. I mean, it could could continue to move that way. And then the other thing is they did have 16 practice squad spots instead of 10 last year because of COVID. Yep. I think that's something they should keep going. Um, I'm with you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because, like, I don't want to eliminate preseason games to take jobs away from guys. Like, that's the that, – that could be an unintended unintended consequence. And I would, then I would really second-guess myself on, on my anti-preseason game stance. But <laughs> like if, if they did some of the things we're talking about now uh, with the roster and the practice squad, then you'd take care of some of that for sure. Because like, I do get the value of the preseason games for guys on the bubble trying to make the team. Of course, I get that. I just think in general, the overall big picture... They suck. Like, I just don't like preseason <laughs> games and the guys getting hurt and just the right. It's just I don't know. It's there. There's some value to them, but it's just not nearly enough for the risk involved. And I mean, J.C. Treder put out. Data uh, yesterday on the NFL website in his column, and of course, he wants to scale back the offseason. season. Um, really doesn't want to have off-season practices at all. And so we're going to see how that plays out between the union and the league. But, you know, they reduced concussions last year and several other injuries, but concussions are the most important thing that really that needs to be reduced. And, you know, I know it's only one year, but to see some of this data he was putting out is interesting. And that's kind of my case when I – Think about preseason game and everything because, like I said, that one to one trade off just doesn't feel right. Um, I mean, these guys are going out there all out in regular season games, scratching claw, trying to win these games because every single game can determine whether you're going to make the playoffs or not. Look at the Browns; they get in the win and in scenario in in the finale last year. Um, so you can't mess around in those games, but in preseason, you know, preseason games is just it's not apples to Apple's comparison, preseason regular season. So you're adding a regular season, knock off more than one preseason game is my big thing. Um, But, you know, it is going to be kind of cool to see, uh, just from a storyline perspective, Kyler Murray and J.J. Watt coming to Cleveland with the Browns adding the Cardinals to the schedule.
1: Yeah, that, that, that will be an incredibly fun game. To, to watch so, um, uh, the preseason thing, you know, I, I can't remember where I heard it, but and maybe maybe I miss maybe I misheard it or misremember, but there there was a stat where more concussions happen in the preseason than the regular season, so uh, that 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 stands to your point as well about both issues. Um, I don't know though. That, Saying that the team won 8-9 and nine, or 9-8 nine and eight, or whatever is a little weird, but, well, that, that's our reality now. So 17 NFL regular season games. Nate will have them all covered, of course. Nate, do you have anything else this week, though, before we head out of here?
0: Um, i just been thinking a little bit about the draft real quick, Dan, and I think I could yes. see the Browns one thing I don't hear anybody talking about is drafting a guard in the middle rounds to kind of prepare for if Wyatt Teller doesn't work out for them as a long-term contract extension. Um, I'm Great just point. thinking, well, I'm just thinking about what if they don't re-sign Wyatt Teller? Mm-hmm. So obviously last year they started preparing for, J.C. Treader's eventual exit by drafting Nick Harris in the fifth round. I don't think anybody's talking about guard um, as a draft pick coming up here to plan for, um, you know, Wyatt Teller if it doesn't work out between the two sides. I could see them drafting a guard kind of in the way they drafted Nick Harris last year at, at center. And um, that is the other prediction that I should have thrown in there with the corner <laughs> over defensive end thing. So I just don't want to leave you with that.
1: Well, I I think that's a good way to tease our next podcast. Hopefully it'll be next week, but you know that that's always schedules permitting, particularly mine these days. But uh, we will talk more draft on our next episode. And, Nate, I will give you five mid-round guard options for the Browns uh, on that podcast. So we will will talk blockers. I have a hot take that that it seems like few people are talking about with the Browns in the number 26 pick. I will give that on our next podcast as well. So stay tuned for that. Uh, But for now, that's going to do it or cover two this week, make sure you're following Nate on Twitter. He's at by Nate Ulrich. And you can find all of his work and a lot more Brown stuff over at beaconjournal.com sports Browns. There is so much stuff up there that is really, really good. So uh, if you can check it out, if you can subscribe, that helps us a lot. If you can leave a nice review on the podcast on iTunes and wherever else. But that will do it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will talk to you next time.